Okay, welcome to the BAL podcast. I am Ms. Benny Bonsu. In today's show, we have Entabi, we have Uncle Colin and DJ Aries, and our very special guest. You guys have been asking for him for the last 11 episodes of this podcast. And we do have the Capital Go Go GM, Pops Mensa Bonsu, later on in the show. But before all of that, let's go to Entabi for this week's news. guys I've got quite a bit to talk about so I'm gonna try to run through it as quickly as possible so let's start off with what's happening in the WNBA and the NBA the Washington Mystics uh, Tasha Cloud as well as Renee Montgomery of the Atlanta Dream have opted out of the 2020 WNBA season to focus their efforts on social justice issues um, they joined Maya Moore who's taking off another season to continue focusing on prison cases. I don't know, we've spoken about this in on the podcast. We don't know why people haven't given her the homage she deserves as the trailblazer for this thing. So yes, Maya Moore's taking off again. Um, just switching over to the NBA. The NBA is about to start. And with that, there are players that have tested positive for COVID-19. I don't know if this is on purpose or these are just fabricated things but according to a lot of players have tested for COVID as well um, and they have also opted out to returning to the NBA um, this month well next month rather these players include players like Demarcus Cousins and Portland Trailblazers Trevor Ariza teams are also on a signing frenzy for the restart Houston is bringing back David Nwaba I don't even know why they let him go in the first place. And they also, and the Kings have signed Corey Brewer. Since Avery Bradley has also opted out, it looks like J.R. Smith might be taking his spot in Orlando. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned how J.R. Smith and Jamal Crawford were expected to be available uh, for Orlando. Um, but get this guys, no team still has signed Jamal Crawford. I don't know why people hate Jamal so much, why teams hate him so much that they haven't signed him. I mean, even the Knicks could use someone like him on the team. And just talking about the Knicks, they have hired CAA's William Wesley, AKA Worldwide West, as executive vice president or senior advisor. West ran the basketball division for CAA before his move. Um, and Wes is very well respected throughout the NBA and this is honestly a win for the Knicks as much as we like to give them flat this is a win for them and we I just hope that the Knicks give him uh, leg room to do what he wants and then Dolan stops meddling in business that he doesn't need to be meddling in but um, yeah that's what's happening around the league let's take the news over to the motherland and talk some uh, uh, talk a little bit about the lifestyle since our focus this week is Ghana, let's talk fashion because that's my vibe. So here are my top five designers that I would reckon you guys check them out. It, this is not in any particular order, by the way. So I would say check out Chocolate by Kwekwu. Um, and his designs have been worn by A-list celebrities, including our dope, some of our dope people, um, our guest today, Pops, is a, uh, has worn chocolate. He is also he also designed the whole Black Star team um, 
get up before the World Cup. Another one to look out for is Third Crown jewelry designers Christine and Kofi Essel. Their jewelry is inspired by architecture and geome geometric shapes, and their stuff has caught the attention of the Nolan sisters, Beyonce and Solange. Next one is Ellie Kim, the tailor who participated in the reality show Big Brother. His sophisticated um, contemporary designs mostly cater to men and ladies, but mostly men. And guys, let me tell you, when you see people wear his stuff, you, yeah, ladies, you just want yourself um, a man who dresses like the people who wear chocolate and Ellie Kim the tailor. Um, someone else who's on my list is Mona by Nana and Afua. Uh, they are Benny, they, these are your Ashanti sisters who are footwear designers. Their luxe leather sandals are crafted in Ghana by local artisans. You can buy their stuff in South Africa, Ghana, and also online. Lastly, uh, we're gonna, um, I was thinking of Leslie, where I forget how, I don't know how to pronounce some of these people's last names, but who designs stage and movie costumes. His designs are worn by local artists for shows and performances on stage. So go check these designers out and then just let us know what you guys think. And lastly, just to touch a little bit on Ghana and the tech space in Ghana, which is slowly coming up. Google set up an AI lab in Ghana last year. Um, and they, there's a lot of IT companies, however, in Ghana. They have many of those who offer services from consulting to training. So, yes, look out for Ghana and what they are up to when it comes to the tech space. And this is all that I have for you guys. Thank you, Ntabi. Just a bit of juice on that elecum and chocolate. Do you know that Elecom actually copied chocolate? So that's the that's the actual news in Ghana, if you didn't know. Yeah. You know what's what it's funny you say that because when I was looking at his stuff, they reminded me a lot of chocolate designs. And I was like, these and, and it was not my intention for me to mention them together that way. I just I, I looked at chocolate stuff and this guy and I was like this, this looks similar. I mean, I met chocolate in 2012 in Ghana. I, I was head of productions at Viasat. He turned up at the office with a, a, a box of chocolate, like chocolate ice cream. and said, I don't have anything. This is all I have. I'm a tailor, I'm a designer. I really need you to give me an opportunity to dress your stars. Um, and then in return for that, what I'll do is I'll sew things for your team for free. And I gave him that opportunity and then slowly by slowly he grew and now he's an international name. But then Elliot came, came back from Big Brother and thought he could use his fame to overthrow chocolate. And it hasn't quite worked because chocolate's like international now. Um, but yeah, that's the juice on that one. So it'll be interesting to see where those two brands are 10 years from now and see how big it becomes. But yeah, interesting um, download there. But um, for now, let's go over to Colin for all the African news. A few things that would get your ears popping <laughs> and maybe your eyes too. So let's start with Tanzania where a local uh, miner has become an overnight millionaire after selling two rough Tanzanite stones. The man earned, I think his name is Saninu Liza, earned $3.4 million for selling two gem stones. Um, each of those stones weighed a combined weight of 15 kilograms. The highest ever that had been sold was 
3.3 kg. And this gentleman has four wives and 30 kids. And he says he's going to have a big party, but he would use uh, most of the proceeds <laughs> to invest in his um, local community. He would slaughter one of his cows. He has 2,000 cows, by the way. So he's going to slaughter one to celebrate. And he plans to invest in his community. He's going to build a shopping mall and a school, even though he says he was not educated. So, and over to Ghana, where I think this was probably Benny's fault. Um, Ghana's president, Nana Kufadu, has apologized to Nigeria after a building inside the Nigeria High Commission compound was demolished um, by, yeah, a businessman. Apparently, there's um, a businessman who previously claimed that he owned the land where the High Commission building was um, uh, put up and he let a demolition uh, operation went there and pulled down some buildings. So now Mr. Kufuado has said there will be an investigation after speaking with um, Muhammad Buhari and some Nigerians also protested. Two people have been arrested over the incident and it is said they've, they've been charged with unlawful entry and causing unlawful damage. Over in, I, I can see Betty opening her eyes like, what? We Ghanaians are not like this. Well, <laughs> it happened. <laughs> in um, Mozambique, and this is a funny one. In Mozambique, uh, the main opposition party, Renamo, has apologized after one of their most prominent MPs went on TV and was totally and completely drunk. Mr. Antonio Muchanga, he was so inebriated when he was on TV that the program moderator asked him to leave the studio and he caused an uproar in Mozambique with um, expressions of shock, condemnation and amusement. And for two days, there was no reaction from the party until their spokesman told um, a newspaper that Mr. Muchanga's behavior had been a disgrace to the party, that they did not expect their members to drink a whole bottle of whiskey and then appear on a TV show. Some very interesting things. And then finally, we go over to South Africa, where we have a bit of good news concerning the um, concerning sport. Uh, South Africa sports uh, minister has approved the resumption of sporting activities in the the country after proposals submitted by um, sports organisation about the safety measures that would be implemented. And so, right now, I think according to the statement, it says that the on, on May 28, yeah, the different sports bodies after submitting their plans, indicating their state of readiness and the stringent health protocols they will implement in accordance with the pre prescribed regulations and directions. So sport is about to kick off in South Africa after how many months? I can see Ntabi smiling. She's thinking, oh, we're getting back. But yeah, it's the same thing is happening over in Egypt and um, Morocco. And I think Algeria, they're also about to start their leagues again. So we should be seeing sporting activities get back in action. And then just a roundup on the coronavirus um, status in Africa. We have a total combined number of 325,166 com combined confirmed cases, 154,725 recoveries, and 8,630 deaths across Africa. And that is it from my side, Benny. Let's unpack your news, Colin, because... <laughs> Don't mute yourself because we're unpacking. Let's talk about the Nigeria-Ghana situation. Somebody, that was somebody's land and Nigeria went and built on it without having the permission, right? So they get a bulldozer and bulldoze your embassy. Now, Who said so? The guy, he claims that that was his land. So, I mean, there's no way an embassy would go get a land without government approval. 
you know. So the, the fact that the embassy had been there for, I mean, for years, not like it was yesterday. So there definitely had to have been government approval for that land to have been used to build. And don't forget, you know, embassy property is, uh, is sovereign land. So the moment that embassy was there, it became sovereign Nigeria territory. So the fact that that gentleman who went into Nigeria territory to demolish it, you know, was caused for an international incident. So, you know, you see Ghanaians, we're very tough. We don't care whether it's a sovereignty or not. We want our no, land he's going back. To jail. No, he's going to jail. Look, you know what? Look, you're little brothers. The Ghanaians are little brothers. So that's what we don't, if, if you want. No rubbish, you know, disrespect. Yeah, you know, so uh, that's what we're taking it. So let's talk, let's talk about this um, party leader that went on TV drunk. How is that even still <laughs> acceptable in Africa? Oh my goodness, you should have seen the video. This guy was stuck, raving. I mean, like he was, he was, he was it. He was finished and he was on TV. But who on his team allowed him to get to that point? Like, who's He probably was. He probably was uh, down the whole. Maybe probably he got there, and uh, maybe on his way he he dropped a whole bottle of um, whiskey before getting in the studio. My I goodness. think the newsroom guys did it on purpose by leaving him drunk, uh, just so that they can expose him for what? For comedy. <laughs> for comedy. <laughs> for comedy. Oh, purpose. Yeah, definitely. Guys, can we talk about J.R. Smith going back into the NBA, please? And then I want to talk about Jamal Crawford. Unless there's something we all don't know about him and there's something that NBA and the teams are keeping a secret, I'm still really trying, I'm finding it really hard on why he hasn't been signing top. Yeah, like I follow Jamal Crawford on, on Instagram and I, I mean on, on Twitter and everyone is always going off about why are teams not signing this guy? He's available, he, he can play. Um, better than a lot of people, even on that sucking Warriors team. Anybody, even on the Knicks team, somebody needs right. to sign this guy. So I don't, I don't understand why they're blackballing him. I don't know what happened behind closed doors that we don't know that nobody's signing him. He, he's available. They, he was told that he needs to be available for Orlando. And with all these COVID cases coming up and, play, and players opting out, you'd assume that somebody would sign him but there's nothing, nothing. I feel like something has happened in the league that we don't know about. Because Jamal Crawford has got to be one of the best in the league has ever had. And the fact that he doesn't have a job, and then you've got J.R. Smith's and Mike Beasley's name being flown about. I mean, J.R. Smith two weeks ago was beating up a child on the side of the road because they messed up his car. <laughs> and you're going to sign him before you sign Jamal Crawford? Yeah, I don't get it. I really don't understand, yeah. I don't know. Well, you know, you know how these things are. Maybe when Pops comes on, he's going to give us more of an insight because I see that the Lakers are touting, I mean, like they, they want some Jared Smith and, I mean, among others. So, I mean, like I said, maybe when Pops comes on, he might be in a better position to give we us We can ask movies. him more. But before we go to Pops, let's go straight to DJ Aries for the entertainment news. fresh Ghanaian tunes coming out there, an international Ghanaian artist. So we've got Nani Bikul. He's based in America, amazing talent. He's kind of like um, Childish Gambino kind of style. Um, and he still has like the, the Ghanaian traditionalist image, you know, the gold and a bit of the kente going on. So have a listen to him. Again, I'm adding him into the um, BAL Spotify playlist. Also, we have a guy called Taino Jackson. He was part of a creative co um, collective called Super Jazz Club. Now they indulge in like the arts, photography, illustration, um, fashion design, photography, and his style, again, kind of like abstract pop. It's not very Ghanaian at all, but again, 
I've thrown it into the um, place. See what you think of it. Um, Kitty, he's got a new track called Say Cheese. I love that song. That's going to be a big track. Um, you're going to hear it soon, guys, wherever you go. It's, it's a definite dancer um, to look out for that. Now, in terms of Twitter, they're having a field day, literally roasting this guy. He's literally like a stalker for Jackie Appiah, one of the biggest Ghanaian actresses. <laughs> he's tried, well, he's proposed to her and apparently he's actually moved from Kumasi, which is Ghana's second capital, to Accra to actually be in her radius. So every time she's snapping, he just happens to be there. Like, that stalker is right there. I, I couldn't even take that. You know, that, how, what do you guys think? What do you mean that every time she snaps, he's there in person? So, so if you go on Snapchat on her account, he obviously they've been in touch. He's, you know, she she sees him as a fan. But because he's always around, the Twitter fans are like, hold up, something ain't right here. This guy's just always Maybe in Maybe she's space. with him, man. She's just not claiming him in public. Probably, that not a lot of people do that. No, Eris, is, is she complaining? No, she's not actually. She's probably with him. She's probably he's probably rich. These villains. They're not gonna go with somebody who's not rich. He's probably rich, buying her the bags and the cars. So he's not really a stalker as if she's not complaining. Yeah, I think people just, you know, you know, just taking a guess, assuming things. Because the way they're just going for this guy like he's some nobody, you just never know. He probably has the deep pockets to supply that lifestyle for her. So um is that's saying quite... anything. Is she like coming out and saying, Oh no, no she's please not don't say no. this? No, yeah, not nah. Some secret, one side. secret rendezvous, uh, and also um, in Accra near Airport City, there's this amazing venue called Urban Grill, um, which is also called Carbon. I've played out there myself. Amazing space. Um, they are having their usual bottomless brunches on a Sunday, so they've now opened as Ghana's eased down on a lockdown. And again, perfect view, amazing food, great music. It's the place to be. So for our garden followers, make sure you hit out out there as well. Thank you, Dairies. Um, it makes me miss Miss Ghana because this is the first year in a very long time yeah. I haven't yeah. returned home in the summer, and this is just ridiculous. But I want to just go back, Colin, in regards to South Africa opening back for business for sport. I mean, the, the number of cases that you talked about for Africa, it seems quite large. You know, is it safe for them to be going back to sports when the cases are still quite high? No, no I mean, th th think about it. The number of cases for Africa, well, at least the number of, um, I mean, um, yeah, the number of cases is just slightly over the number of deaths in the US. So think about it. So, I, know, I mean, I across. Yeah, you're spread across an entire continent, you know, as opposed to one country. So I think as long as the proper health protocols are in place and people can be safe, and of course, it's South Africa, so you can trust that they will be, they should be able to do that, then why not? You know? I mean, something that came up in the last couple of days that got me really worried is the fact that the cases in Florida is going up to the point where an NWSL team 
has pulled out because majority of the players are tested positive for it, right? So the Orlando yeah. Pride have pulled out. Now the NBA, I know that, for example, the Raptors are already in Florida. When all the teams come there, now they're testing all the players and now we're finding out day by day that a couple of them have now got it. What then happens if we find out majority of them have COVID? Well, the, the thing is, if, if you notice, or well, at least um, Anthony Fauci, who is the head of um, the infectious disease, the, the coronavirus task force with the US, had warned that the second wave might be worse if people open, if states open too early. But unfortunately, you have leadership that was pushing for states to reopen and reopen early. And Florida was one of those who were boneheaded enough, you know, to open beaches and stuff when they, without proper protocols, at least without um, that cautious of t taking proper precautions. So now you're seeing that those states which opened too early without all of these um, protocols in place are the ones that are seeing spikes, Florida, Arizona, um, North Carolina, and a few other, of these other places. So um, you look at somewhere like Virginia now, it's actually going down and because the, the, the opening was phased. Now, as things stand by, uh, I think, July 1st, there's going to be phase three opening. And the cases have been actually going down instead of going up. So I think as long as, you know, the proper CDC guidelines and health protocols are followed, then it can be open. Now, when it comes to testing players and officials, I think th that, that would depend on where they've been and who they've been in touch with. I wonder what that would be like for the BAL players when they do finally start. Would there be testing for all the players to ensure that, you know, that they are okay? Because I remember just, again, yesterday that um, tennis player, no, is it Novak? Yeah, Novak Djokovic. Tested positive after doing a tournament for the tennis players to kind of reintroduce them back to playing professionally. Now he's tested and five of his other players have also tested just by being around them. Yeah, I think what we what we'll need to understand is that this is the new normal. If you notice, even before coronavirus, because of Ebola, if you go to most international airports, there used to be this um, the, the um, thermal heat scan, the, the thermal scanners. Now, I think that's going to become a way of life for us in sport going forward, even, even post coronavirus, whether it ends or not. You know, just like we have metal detectors after 9-11 at most uh, major um, events, sport, international and open air, whether it's sports, airports or whatever, metal detectors. Now, thermal testers are going to be a thing, you know, so now everybody's going to keep getting tested on a regular basis to make sure that, you know, people are not carrying uh, um, any virus or any infections into the ground. So we just have to get used to that. It's a way of life now. Thank you for that, Colin. Now we're going to move on to our guest, Pops Mensa Bonsu. <laughs> Hold on, let me, let me, let me pause. I have arrived. Oh, there he is. So let me do the big introduction for him. So some of you may not know him. Some of you know him. In fact, all of you know him because they've asked him 11 times to be on this podcast. Some of you, some of you may not know that Pops is actually a European champion. He used to play in the NBA, played for the Raptors, Dallas Mavericks, San Antonio Spurs, Houston Rockets, and name it. He's been there, done it, got a t-shirt, washed it, given it away. He's now moved on to management and now he's a GM. I'm telling you, five years from now, he's probably going to be a commissioner of the NBA. I said it. If he gets it, please pay me. If he doesn't, pay him. Um, but Pops Mansabonsu, welcome to the BAL podcast, sir. How are you? I'm great. I appreciate the introduction. Uh, I think I might need you to, to travel with me so that I'm introduced the same way every single time. But uh, 
Yeah, man, it's great, man. Excited to be here. Glad you guys are having me. Um, disappointed I'm the 12th guest. I mean, that means you couldn't find anybody else and you just like, you know what? This guy's available. Let's let's just pick him. But, you know, that's how let, you always treated me. Let, let me tell so the truth. Okay. I don't take offense to it. I don't let take me tell the truth. To it. I was like, I'm not bringing my brother on here because he's got about to just put me out there and let everybody just destroy me. But 11 people have been on this podcast and every single one of them said, Pops is this, Pops is great, Pops is that. And I, and I said to the team, I said, you know what? Since everybody is asking let's just bring him on so he can share his story and his journey so everybody else in Africa because everybody pops are fascinated with your journey because they don't understand how you've come from Tottenham High Road now GM and I think that for everybody else it's like we always have the saying of if you can't see you can't be it so now they've seen it and they've seen that you've done it so now it's possible for everybody now mm -hmm. let's take it back P let's talk about your journey from Tottenham High Road to GM mm -hmm. To GM. How long have you said the show was? Man, you don't have that long. You have. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I mean, it's, I mean, I would give you the, the condensed version, you know, just to your point about, you know, if you can see it, you can achieve it. And, um, you know, betting on yourself for me at a young age, I started playing basketball at 13 and, you know, I wasn't very good initially. I was a, a track and field guy and I was playing football or soccer. You know, I just thought I was always going to be an Olympian high jumper because that's what I was naturally gifted at. And, you know, I was introduced to the game. I remember my coach who passed away asked me if I wanted to come to the school. He was a math teacher as well as the coach at the school in Hackney in London. And he's like, if you're serious about basketball, you'll come over here and, and, put, and go to the school. And I remember I was, you know, 12, 13 at the time, and he told me to ask my parents what they thought. Getting ready to go to secondary school. All my friends are going to St. Thomas Mall. It's a mixed school. The school in Hackney was a boys' school, and I was impressionable. There's peer pressure. I was, you know, I wanted to go to school with girls. I wanted to go to school with my friends, and I remember lying. I remember lying and telling my coach. My parents was like, no, they want me to go to a Catholic school. I had never, I never even mentioned it to my mom and dad. And, you know, like thinking Catholic. back, huh? Right, right, right. <laughs> Right, right. But well, we all went to Catholic school. So um, I never mentioned it to mom and dad. And, you know, it didn't dawn on me until about a few months ago that I realized I had an opportunity to, to build on my game and develop as a, as a younger player that I didn't take. And it wasn't a mindset that I had. So, you know, I, I'm playing basketball for a couple of years. I end up coming to the U.S. to go to school. Um, like I said, I'm running track, playing soccer. I played JV basketball, which was very humbling because my first game was against, you know, one of my childhood friends in the Wild Dane. I'm thinking we're going to get ready to play against each other, match up, and I didn't play in the game. I was playing in the game before, and, you know, I remember just seeing his face, him looking confused and telling his teammates, this guy should be playing this, that, third. And, you know, it... it for me, a lot of the negative things that happened to me at a young age, I never felt sorry for myself. Um, I always felt like my goal was bigger than myself. And I, any little hurdle, any little obstacle that I had, I couldn't allow it to um, determine my next step or determine my destiny. You know, those things didn't define me. So anytime something negative happened, like playing JV or being told I was never going to go to college or told I would never be good enough to play in the NBA, I just would write it down. I would write it down and, and put it in the back of my mind. Every time I went to class, every time I went to the gym to work out, I just worked out twice as hard. I did it twice as hard to play catch up and to not only prove to everybody else, but prove to myself that I was I was going to make this happen and I was worthy for this position. So, 
you know, that happens. I go to, to GW, I was blessed enough to get a scholarship to go there. You know, I set my goals pretty high. Once I got a division one scholarship, I was like, okay, let's see if you can start on this team. Just one step at a time. You know, I started my whole freshman year. Then my sophomore year, I told myself, try being one of the best players in the, in, in the conference. And I won most improved player my sophomore year in IGW. Then my junior year, I was like, look, this is all this is all conversations I'm having with myself. I don't tell too many people this. I didn't even tell my family this because not everybody can always see the light at the end of the tunnel or see your goal or your vision. You know, I didn't tell nobody. And I, you know, I told myself, try being one of the best players in the country and see what happens. And by the time I was the end of my junior year, I was um, touted enough to um, to enter the draft. And I never thought, I, and you know, you knew growing up, this wasn't in the cards for me. You know, I was just a kid walking on the streets at Tottenham. Having that opportunity to just enter the draft proved to me that every time I set a goal, I've been able to achieve it. So just set them higher. Decided to come back to school, knew that we would be good, knew that I'd have an opportunity to be a first rounder. For whatever the case may be, I didn't get drafted. Um, remember, my mom called me and told me she cried. That broke my heart because I felt like I had let her down and my family down. And from that day forward, I was just ultra, um, ultra determined to make everybody proud, make everybody proud and try my best to continually provide the image that you said um, of somebody from a similar background to kids in Ghana, to kids in London, to show them that, you know, where I came from is no different from them and that if I can make it, they can also make it too. So, you know, I, I did that and then, you know, had a 10, 11 year career overseas and in the NBA. I, you know, retired early against my will and, you know, big believer in science, big believer in science. I had my best season my last year playing in Greece, you know, on my way to being named MVP and then, I failed a drug test due to my medication. You know, again, me saying I'm big on signs, I get offered a job from the Players Association while my career is ultimately in limbo. And I'm like, someone's trying to tell me something. So I take the job, I love it, but I still train like a professional athlete. I still, you know, had the same mindset, still work that way, work that hard for, you know, the whole year. And then I get a call saying they found out that my drug wasn't a performance enhancing drug. And I was going to get an opportunity to get my band lifted. And whether I was going to play or not, I wanted the opportunity to clear my name because I never wanted that hanging over me. I've played in college, the NBA, and the high level in Europe, the EuroLeague, the Olympics. Um, and I've never done a drug, let alone failed a drug, failed a drug test a day in my life. You know, I just didn't want that out there. So, um, but I also wanted to finish my career on my terms. And we, um, again, I get offered a job from the Spurs and it's another sign that tells me I'm not supposed to be um, playing basketball. Do that for two years, then get offered a job as general manager with the, the Wizards New League team in the Capital City Go-Go. And it brings me here in front of you today. Man, I remember when that drug case came out, I was literally, I was fighting every journalist in London because, you know, some people like the hype, right? And then there's the reality. Mm -hmm. And then you're just like, why are you lying about things? You know, he's not like that. And, you know, I think for us at home, it was difficult because we're family, but also I work in the media. And it's like, man, you print that by him, I'm gonna mess you up. It was literally just like, I became kind of a gangster on the side as well as being, being a professional journalist. So, cause we weren't having it. We knew you weren't that, that person. But for us, I think, you know, the question I get time and time again, as your sister is like, how did he do it? How, how, how did he do it? How you guys, how, all of you, all of you are always doing something. How are you guys doing? Is it 
the mentality of people from Tottenham, is there a mentality of people from Ghana? How are we achieving all these things, Pops? Man, that's, that's a great question. And, you know, I think it's a better question that's posed to you um, because <laughs> you only got introduced to the game 12, 12 15 yep. years ago, maybe, if I'm not when mistaken. When you started playing. When right, you exactly. So, exactly. So, yeah, it's 15 years. So, if you just look at your path and everything you've been able to achieve, um, for me, I just know I wasn't going to allow basketball to define me, but I was going to use the game to achieve everything that I wanted to achieve in life. And that's what I've been able to do. Uh, you know, making it to the NBA, playing at a high level in Europe, being a, becoming an Olympian, and having, although I was a journeyman, and played for so many different teams, people frown upon that normally and look at that negatively. For me, I feel like it's the reason why I'm here today. It's the reason why I'm, I've been able to scout for one of the best teams in sports and work for the Players Association and now be a general manager at, you know, at 34 years old when I got the job because of my experiences. And I felt like we're the direct result of our life experiences. And, you know, I was, it's, it's just a blessing. I always thought um, to your point about, you know, how we are able to make it. I always thought my impact on the game was going to be, you know, play 10, 15 years in the NBA, make all this money, um, become an all-star and then, you know, provide that mirror image to this, this younger generation through my play. That wasn't the case. That didn't that didn't work out like that. My career ended against my will. I, I, I bounced around in and out of the NBA, across from Europe. And once I saw my path, you know, getting offered a job from the Players Association, you know, getting offered a job from the Spurs to scout for two years, and then get, becoming a GM at such a young age, somebody was like, well, how do you feel about being so successful? And I never looked at it that way. But I took a step back and realized, wow, you know, maybe some, maybe they're right, you know. And I realized my my impact and input on, on the game was going to be more so off the court. And you know, coming to terms with that was difficult because I'm a player at heart, and I really wanted to, and I still want to play to this day. I still play, and I still want to fill that void. But I'm, you know, I'm very self-aware and understand that. Um, you know, you got to play the hand that you're dealt. And this is what my path is. This is my purpose. It, it sounds like your journey has been just success, but people forget that there's been challenges wow. along the way, including including you as a GM outside of you being a player and stuff. So what would you say are two lessons that you've learned and that were huge challenges for you? One, as a player, and secondly, as a GM or an exec uh, with Capital. So, I mean, before I answer the question, I think, you know, you only really hear the success stories because that's, that's just all the people, that's all the media and people like, they like those feel good stories. You only see the success part. But for me, people don't understand that I've had 12 surgeries over the course of my career. I've, you know, been cut a number of different times from NBA teams. I was, you know, I went undrafted, like every step of the way I could show you and, and, and provide you with instances where I was knocked down and could have easily quit. But again, when you think about what your why is and, and the resolve that you need to have and our ancestors had to, um, you know, just to fight to live, you feel like me having surgery, me getting cut is, is, my, is, is minuscule compared to some of the things the people who came before us had to endure. So those kind of things kept me going. In regards to challenges as a player, I learned that perception is reality and that how often do you get an opportunity to go beyond perception? You know, um, you know, what people perceive, what, what the situation is, is essentially reality. 
whether it's true or not. And I learned that the hard way after the fact. I was always wondering why I wasn't getting these jobs in the NBA or getting overlooked and always having to work my way in and fight. And, you know, there was things out there about my personality, like my, the way I approached the game that, you know, some teams didn't really want to have to put up with. But luckily I had some GMs and front office personnel who knew me personally and knew that none of that was the case and you know and 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 went you know the next step to 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 sign me and you know it was again obviously not too many teams are going to give me that opportunity and i realized that as a player as a gm the challenges i had were oh yeah this is the most difficult thing uh cutting players man the sensitivity i had and the difficulty i had in 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 doing that every year or even over the course of the season was so was so much that like i would go into a funk for two or three days and my staff would be like what's wrong and i was like man i just i just hate having to to be the reason why somebody's career has been put on hold essentially telling the guy he's not good enough to play with us and again i've tried to do it with uh, honesty integrity and transparency so that you know in a couple of days although it, it it's it's um painful they'll understand that every everything i did and the process that we went through to you know waving that certain player was um an honorable one and but just because of the experiences i've had and i'm more sensitive to that so that's one of the challenges i have and someone told me if you ever get used to you're never going to get used to it once you start to get used to it that's when you lose the human side and for me how you treat people and how you lead people and empower them is what I base my leadership style on. You know, I didn't have any front office experience, but I I've always felt like any situation I've been in, I've been a leader and I knew I could do that and I could learn everything else and that's just that's how the process has gone for me the last the last couple of years and you know, I've I've hung my hat on my experiences and how I would have wanted a GM to um manage me. and I tried to emulate that. So talking about stuff um you know you you just mentioned how you 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 the whole process with cutting players and stuff like that and um we've seen some women in your team in your staff so what are some efforts that you have put in place to create space for women to have opportunities in your organization and thrive um well one in particular obviously my assistant gm is a black woman she's young she's um special she's got a lot of talent and you know for me this year i'm always hard on her you know behind the scenes i'm hard on her i'm pushing her and i told her i'm doing this because you can't be like everybody else you have to be twice as good just to be equal and it sucks that that's the case but this is the reality when it's tough as a black person it's even tougher as a black woman you know obviously you know i've never been a black woman i've been a black man and you know i can i can i can understand and have empathy for and, and understand our plight but when it comes to black women you know women in general have been discriminated against but then when you come to as a black when it comes to being black women it's so difficult so when i when she's in those situations i tell her look this has got nothing to do with how i feel about you how i you being a woman it's because i want you to be great and if i want you to be great this is what i'm trying to do to empower you and give you this this the necessary tools to thrive in this climate this is a white male dominated climate um industry and you're a young black woman the exact opposite of what they may want or what the situation may be um and i have to continually pour into you and invest in you so that when i'm not here 
you have the necessary tools to handle certain situations. And it's tough, but again, we have to empower everybody, especially our women, because they're, you know, you guys are so strong in everything that you do. You endure so much. And, you know, it's, um, we always have to be collective in our approach. This, this struggle, especially even looking at today's climate, this struggle when it comes to, to racism and police brutality, like everybody, this is, a, it's a, it's a black matter or it's a, it's a black issue because we're the ones being targeted, but everybody who says they're not racist or not a bigot, they have to, you can't only just become allies. You have to become active. And you know, me on this side of the game, I feel like I have to become active and I was becoming active and making sure I do my best to, to put her in a position to succeed. That's awesome. Glad to hear that. We're always going off at guys about how they need to protect us, but just switching yeah. off to the BAL for a little bit, you've mentioned the desire to own a Ghanaian team that would participate in Not the desire, program. not desire. Okay. It's an eventuality. It's, it's, it's an eventuality. Okay, awesome. Thanks for <laughs> clarifying that. Uh -huh. um, but what will it take and how will it look like on the grassroots level level for you to to get to that point where your team is you not just owning a team but you have a successful team um from ghana well you said it the grassroots level for us you know the, the talent is there in ghana just looking at the camp that we, we were able to put together at a sh in a short amount of time you know thanks to benny for for making sure that all of that worked out even though she didn't come um uh, i'm never gonna live you know, it down you're never gonna live it down <laughs> But, uh, you know, we had a camp that we thought was going to be for 80 to 100 kids and 400 showed up over the course of two days. So that right, just in one place. So that right there showed everybody involved that the interest is there, the talent is there, but the infrastructure, resources, and, you know, the system is not in place. And being one of only two Ghanaians to ever play in the NBA, whose responsibility is that? I take it as, as mine. You know, growing up in, in Ghanaian or even African, you know, when you're, it's, it's, it's growing up that way forces you to become a leader based on what you were saying earlier about Benny, about why are we successful? It's because it's just natural. It's innate. We feel like we have to become leaders. You know, our parents, you know, migrated to their respective countries, whether it be mainland Europe, the UK, USA. 50, 40 years ago to to provide better opportunities for us. They sacrificed. And now 30, 40 years later, it's time for us to reciprocate and go back to the continent and 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 use um, whatever successes and whatever we've learned in our own right to pull back and cultivate not only um, the continent, but the people too. And that's what we're doing, trying to ins inspire and empower people. So. That's what the that's what we're doing in Ghana. We're trying to build it from the foundation, and once we, you know, provide a foundation and put a system and culture in place, we can do whatever we want from there. Once we build that and get, you know, get basketball more so in schools, get some indoor gyms, get an indoor arena, then we'll be able to, you know, put something together where we can have a team in the BAL. I know this is more long term, but we had EFA from Ghana, uh, from Nigeria, talking to us about what dare you say Ghana. I thought you were his fan, so I don't even know why you're coming at me right now. Yeah, let's not cross the road. He's that Nigerian. He's <laughs> the Nigerian the GM. <laughs> well, the Nigerian GM, yeah. Um, he was on the show last week, and we had a conversation about ownership and how in Nigeria, um, a lot of the sports is government-owned. What is your plan to separate the government uh, to 
you know, people having their own personal ownership with teams. I don't know what it, how it works in Ghana in terms of sports, but how do you think it's going to work where you are the owner and government has nothing to do with it? Um, I don't know if you can fully exclude the government. Obviously, this could be a, this is, we're hoping this is going to be a private um, situation. Um, I think when it comes to getting basketball in the schools, getting basketball, more of an infrastructure, getting some funding, you need the government in that regard. Now, it comes to owning an arena or owning a team, you know, that's, that could be privately done. It could also be done, you know, from the government standpoint. That's not the route we're intending to go. But again, we're, we're not opposed to involving the government in, you know, some of the grassroots stuff we're trying to do. Because again, I saw kids there who were more developed as a player and as physically than I was at, the, at, at 15, 16. And I'm like, man, if I was able to make it to the NBA and this kid is bigger and stronger and better than I was at that age, imagine what would happen if we just gave, gave him an opportunity, you know? And, and that's the whole, that's what this is all about, is providing these opportunities. Whether it's private, whether it's public with the government, we have to continually provide those opportunities to um, invest into the youth. Again, that's, that's, that's the primary thing. I don't care who's involved. I don't care if it's government funded, if it's private funded, if it comes out of, you know, one person's pocket, as long as we help that, that younger generation to succeed, you know, we're, we're, we're going in the right direction. But, you know, I hear what you're saying about the difficulties between trying to figure out whether to go through the government or not. Um, but I think like there's, there's some areas where it's necessary to have um, government um, involvement. Thanks, Benny. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree with you, Paul. But I, I think um, what most people don't quite get is Nigeria has a very unique situation where sports teams are essentially owned by government. The majority of sports teams in Nigeria are essentially owned. Not just it's not a question of government involvement. It's a question that they are owned by the government. So and th and that presents its own set of difficulties and challenges that people have to deal with a lot of, a lot of the time. Like when if you was talking about um, you know players not being paid uh, for months because the particular governor at the time was not you know so interested in sports. So I I, I understand where in Ghana it's a bit different because you see that most of the sports um, teams are privately owned, but you still have a bit of a little bit of government involvement in it. So my question is a bit of um, nepotism between you and Benny. You know, <laughs> but seriously though, you have, because I have a bit of that myself here. You have um, a sister who is so deeply embedded in the media and you're both a sports person and from a player and also a GM. So people would look at you and think, okay, how, there's a bit of stuff, conflict of interest issues going on here. Is Benny reporting on you or are you giving Benny inside info and that sort of thing? Um, that's probably not the case, but it's a very fine line that the two of you have to walk. It's never been an issue to this point. Um, it's an uh, interesting point of view and question because I'm sure people have thought that, but you know, where the way we were raised and the way we came up, that's just not even how um, we operate. I know Benny, you know, she definitely is a champion for whatever cause that I'm, I'm on or what I'm trying to do. So, you know, she'll pick me up as a sister does, but she's professional with everything that she does and, and, and vice versa. Like we've worked this hard to get here. We're not going to subject ourselves and jeopardize the positions that we've been able to, to have been blessed to be in um, by, you know, doing something that's improper. So 
you know, it's never, it's never even been a thing. I've never, you know, even though she's in PR and marketing and everything, she doesn't even help me or represent me. That's how much, that's how far and how bad it's gone. She doesn't even, she helps all these other players and the comms for this. I, I said the comms that she's done for me. Huh? You know what? I'm signing off. Where's the <laughs> It's I'm really leaving. interesting you say that, Colin, because it's funny and Pops is right. I, I really do separate both and it's funny because I do come to Amadou, Messiah, everybody, everybody else but my own blood, right? So, and it's it, it's weird because people think because, you know, so they'll go, oh, she only got that because her brother does this. And half the time, Pops doesn't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know. He doesn't know. I'll find I'll out after know. the fact, yeah. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll go to him and I'll be like, P, guess what? I've been made the face of something. And he's like, what do you mean you've been made the face of something? Have we been made face of something? That's what I told her. <laughs> See, I have to call him. I'm telling you, sometimes I'm like, look, you are the face of this, doing this, that, and the third. You're going to this place in China and this. And at no, not one point have you mentioned Nanayao. At <laughs> <laughs> not one point have you said, if you want me, you have to take him. No, because, <laughs> and, and, it's, and the, there's a reason for it, because all the opportunities that I get, for, I don't know about Pops, but for me, they make it three times harder for me to get it because they think, um, you know, because of Pops, I'll get it. And it's not true because half the time, he doesn't even know what I'm doing. And everything mm -hmm. I've done with the NBA, most of it hasn't been directly with the NBA. It's been away from the NBA that drives me to the NBA. So, for example, the deal with D-Wade had nothing to do with the NBA. Nothing. D-Wade just happened. D-Wade didn't even know we were family. He didn't even know. D-Wade didn't know we were family. You know, so... Yeah, that's we, good. We don't mix both. We don't mix it because we've got to be professional enough so people know that we're coming up separately, but we're meeting in the same place. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I, I, I get into the same kind of situation because people start, I mean, a lot of times you see people saying, oh, when's your wife going to come and coach uh, the Nigeria women's team? And I'm like, you know what? Let's talk to her about it, you know, because I am not going to get myself involved in that conversation because I am so deeply entrenched in Nigerian football that the moment I start trying to do that, then it becomes a problem. And yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that you're entrenched in Nigerian football. I'm sorry. <laughs> this must be a tough time for you. I'm sorry. Don't, I'm, don't, I'm even, so don't, sorry. don't even go there, Pops. Don't even go there because <laughs> otherwise you're, you're going to get a beat down. <laughs> oh, you think so? Oh, come on. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. You're going to get a beat down. Anyway. I will bow gracefully because this is the DL. <laughs> second, right? second question. Now, um, I don't know if it's just Nigeria or it's everywhere, but we get this issue of when you, you have um, people who were born and raised abroad, you know, in the diaspora coming home to do things. And then you have locals thinking, okay, you are not, you were, you were there all this time. Now, all of a sudden you remember that you have a motherland and you're coming to squeeze people out of things that we should be doing here. Now, I, I don't know if you've had that experience, but how do you deal with it? Great question. And it's one of the issues that I've had, you know, coming back to, to, the, to the continent and, you know, wanting to reinvest into Ghana. People, you know, I think there's a divide for some reason. You know, growing up, you know, our parents were, you know, they wanted to protect us. So they told us, you know, if they're not Ghanaian, don't, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't associate with them. Or, and vice versa in the U.S., some people don't associate themselves with Africans. And I think, in everything that we do as black people, it has to be a collective thing. It has to be uh, um, a united approach in everything. And if we want something, if we want Africa to be back at the forefront of where we were before the colonialism had happened, we got to band together. Africa wasn't 54 countries, 
before it was infiltrated. It was just one big place. Now all of a sudden it's separate and then there's tribalism, there's all this other stuff going on. So for me, when it comes to, um, we don't do enough collectively as a people, let alone African-Americans coming, then Ghanaians and Nigerians or whatever. We're never united in our approach. There's always a group that's like, ah, no, I'm not really, I'm not for that. So when it comes to the year of return, you know, we're really, it has to be both sides. The people who are trying to find their heritage from, you know, uh, African-Americans and trying to find, you know, what who the descendants are and, you know, just know more about um, their their past or their, their family's um, past, they have to be willing. And then everybody in the continent has to be, has to embrace them with open arms and say, hey, this is your land too. You know, your identity, your identity and your history does not begin when the first slave hit um, uh, the U U.S. shores, okay? And that's what we have to continually push and continually understand. And that's one thing I try to, to, to tell people is, you know, this is your home, come back. But the people, everybody there has to be embracing them. And I think it's a generational thing. If just like racism and, and everything that's going on, if as a generation, we're able to band together and figure it out, the next generations are gonna not have to worry about it or not have to go through the same issues and same things that we've had to. And if in 15, 20 years, we're having the same conversation, we've failed miserably in a number of different ways. If we've had, if we're still having a conversation of, oh, um, the, the diaspora is not, ex just the diaspora, that's who they are. They're not really Ghanaian, they're not really from the continent and, or, you know, people are still getting killed by police and, and there's still racism is still apparent, then we fail. We have to find a way to continually and pour into and inspire this younger generation so that they can understand what um, they have to do next. Like I'm giving a speech tomorrow for a bunch of um, high school kids who are graduating. And, you know, I, I'm, I was trying to rack my brain around what it is I was going to say or going to do. And for me, I wasn't going to say anything special. I'm, I'm just going to let them know that the humanity and the the fate of the world is in your hands. It's in your hands. Once these, once this younger generation ha understands that everything that's going on today, health pandemic, social pandemic, you guys are going to be the ones to fix it. Every we've tried as generations before, but we never, we weren't able to uh, to to accomplish um, our, our goal. But, you know, we have to continually pour into them and just let them know that, um, you know, this is your home and they have to feel like it's their home too. Um, finally, let me just ask you this. Um, you're GM of um, Capital City Go Go and you plan to set up um, a BAL team. So how are you going to split those two responsibilities? How do you, which one takes priority over which? And because you're talking two different continents, two different teams, two different leagues, and you have to give each one attention. So how do you manage that? Well, I'm a GM of Capital City Go-Go now, um, you know, who knows what's happening in five years? Who knows where this path takes me? Um, obviously, when people get into it, their destination of their end goal or whatever it is, is a certain point or a certain level or a certain achievement. And for me, I've never really focused on that. But again, if I'm at the, the, the process or in the midst of getting ready to own a team, I think that's probably going to take precedent over being a general manager and especially because it's a team on in my homeland on the continent and it's it's going to be part of what is going to help put africa back on the forefront then i'm always going to air towards um 
Just a quick Okay, question. thank you very much, but they're still going to get beat down by the Nigerians. See, there you go. Running your mouth. <laughs> there you go. You lot still can't play football, but anyway. That's <laughs> like, um, they have the good jerseys. They have the good shirts. So the uniforms are nice, but that's yeah. about it. You're nice. I told them the last World Cup. The last I, I don't know, Cup. I don't know how anybody... Ghana, Ghana. I don't know how anyone from Tottenham can actually talk about football, to be honest. Whoa, Tottenham. I'm a Tottenham fan. Uh, you are Arsenal fan. My United. Arsenal, Christ almighty. <laughs> who, who, who supports Arsenal? <laughs> I like, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. I do. I support Arsenal. <laughs> uh, oh. I'm sorry to hear. So, sorry I, want, to hear I want to revert back to what has been going on. Um, and talking about, especially Black Lives Matter in the UK. UK seems to think that you're innocent in all of this. You know, it's like, this doesn't happen in the UK. This is new. I don't know what you're talking about. What are your thoughts on it? Man, I love it. I love that the movement, and I, don't get me wrong, I hate the fact that we had to watch a man being killed and for eight minutes and 46 seconds was the catalyst for not only the United States, but the world to take notice on what is going on with us as a people. And seeing the different countries, like, the, like a couple of days after, you're seeing hundreds, thousands of people outside the U.S. Embassy in London. And like every day I'm getting a picture from somebody out there protesting. I've seen, you know, you and Benson out there, you know, it's, 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 I love it because now people are like, yeah, just because it happened in the U.S., it's, it's, it's apparent all over the world. So it's a social pandemic, which means it's worldwide, you know, racism and, and maybe not police brutality to an extent, but profiling and, and, you know, bigotry is apparent all over the world. And I think people in, in Great Britain and in the UK are, are speaking up for that because they, they've experienced it too. It may not be as, as bad as the United States, but it's still bad and it's, and it's ongoing. And until something is done, people are going to protest. And again, the protest, um, protesting is um, the voice of the unheard. If, when people say no justice, no peace, you have to break that statement down. No justice, no peace. They're not saying no justice, some peace. No justice, no peace. So when people take to the streets and are revolting and, and are protesting at what's going on, that's because the silent protests of taking knees and, and trying to figure things out or break through glass ceilings is, wasn't working for generations. Now it's time for them to, us to force their hand to an extent. And I'm, you know, I'm never gonna advocate for looting and, and rioting, but again, if this is a result of systemic racism, what is happening, then some people have to start taking notice. And if that's the only way they're going to take notice, then so be it. 100%. I agree as well, Pops. Now, to take things on a lighter note, um, I went on your Instagram and you're very much into your fashion and your clothes. I see you wearing the mm -hmm. Guardian, you know, caftans. Who are your favorite designers? What are your favorite pieces? Um, and who are your favorite designers in Ghana as well? Well, I think that question is one and the same. If you ask me who my favorite designers are, it's going to be Ghanaian designers. <laughs> so, um, Fair enough. you know, you said it at the beginning, like chocolate, if I think, you know, I've, I've become a, a unspoken ambassador for, for that brand because, you know, I met him right around the time Benny did. And, you know, I just, you know, he was uh, met at, at a young age and, you know, he was a budding, um, designer and you know just gave him opportunity because he's he, he wear one in the same he's trying to make it he's from Ghana and mm. he's he's hustling and trying hard and you know fast forward to a, a few years later I see how big he's gotten and he reached out and I was like yeah make me something and then I fell in love with the first piece he made and I was like that's it if I'm gonna play 
three four hundred dollars or whatever the case may be for some Gucci or whatever whatever people are wearing now. I'm most definitely going to do it for Ghanaian a Ghanaian designer. So it's I'm pretty much down to chocolate or Studio One Eighty Nine is what I'm wearing most of the time. And you know when you talk about individual pieces, man, because it's all bespoke and because he makes everything and doesn't repeat anything. Mm-hmm. All of them are special, but man, there's there's a couple. He made a gold one for me for a wedding that I went to. I told him the, the theme was gold. It was a Nigerian wedding, um, unfortunately. The the <laughs> the theme was gold, and he said, "Say no more." Next time I saw him, he had this beautiful, um, you know, leather you know piece that was fit like a glove, oh, and then wow. he made another orange piece for me that you know is, is another statement piece. I would say because. It's orange, <laughs> up and down is orange, and you know I just it's it's weird when when I was trying to tell my friends to wear to to get on the chocolate wave and you know start looking into you know getting some of his pieces when they did my 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 boy was like he feels like the Black Panther when he has the vibranium in him yeah he he feels like he feels powerful he feels had that little C there he he feels like he he can do anything because. Not only are you wearing traditional homegrown attire, but it's you're comfortable in any setting. I've worn it to, to games. I've worn it as a genius GM. I've worn it out. I've, I, I can wear it anywhere, mm. and it's um, it sucks that we're you know we've been stuck inside for so long because I just in my closet sometimes looking at my chocolate factory. That's what I call it. My <laughs> um, looking at my chocolate factory and like man, I, I haven't had a chance to wear any of this stuff for a while, but. Um, yeah, no, when it comes to fashion, like it's it's um, a hidden passion of mine. I love to dress. I love, you know, for me growing up, you know, we wasn't, you know, very um, wealthy and we struggled and always had hand-me-downs and stuff. So, you know, mm-hmm. luckily I, when I became a professional athlete, I never really adhered to buying jewelry and cars. I just love clothes. I love mm-hmm. clothes. Benny can tell you when I moved into my place here, I had to ask to help me with my sweaters and it was like a hundred different jumpers, I would say, or sweaters. And she's oh, like, well, well, why do you have this many? He doesn't even like, wear them. <laughs> he doesn't even do. wear them. There's a, there's, 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 a, there's a purpose for every piece of clothing that I have, okay? And yeah, so it's, it's been my passion when I found when I found out, you know, when I saw how great Chocolate was and everything he was doing, I just wanted to champion that. I really wanted to, to see him succeed. And, just because he's Ghanaian and because he's he should be celebrated. I totally, I'm all for that as well. Um, even I went to Ghana last year and I got some pieces. I still wasn't able to wear it because the lockdown, you know, and I see Ghanaian like clothing as armor. You know, you're wearing your pride on your skin and it just like evokes a different air, a different type of confidence mm-hmm. rather than, you know, the usual Western garments that we wear. And with that, uh, as well as fashion and music, who are your favorite Ghanaian artists, or what kind of styles of Ghanaian music are you into? Oh man, I like anything that's gonna get me out of my seat, you know. <laughs> and that's that's another thing, embracing my culture more so than you know I did when I was younger, is yeah, is what is what you know allows my me to be comfortable in my own skin. <clears throat> so you know, obviously, I like. You know, the soccer did, and um, Shata Wale, some of his hits. Um, yeah. CJ Biggerman is nice. Um, I often say Mr. Easy and Burner Boy are Ghanaian because they're, um, 
their base there and they 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 find solace and peace in Ghana. They always um, do, don't they? Yeah, they're always in Ghana. Why? 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 Are you, why, why are you always there? Lagos or somewhere, this thing, this other place there. Um, Abuja. Uh, Abuja. <laughs> but um, no, but yeah. Also, I have to give hats off to, to Nigeria, man. They're flying the flag, and although yeah. it's not mainly just them, they're you know some of their artists are, are, are putting African culture on the map. So I have to big it up too. But you know, Soccer Day, Medical, <laughs> CJ Bigaman, Shata Wale. Um, Joey B. Um, I, I like them all, man. I, I like them all, man, because when you can, I don't have to listen to Western music to to get a kick and get excited and dance and everything. I can put on, you know, uh, you know, Afro beats and just I'm, that's all I can listen to. If that's all I had to listen to for the rest of my life, I'd be okay. It's so funny. It reminds me of when growing up because I'm from Tottenham as well, and I was just thinking. Did you used to go around um, West Green Road and you can hear the old school like Ghana tunes and stuff? What's that? That, yes, that yes. Shop? body music. Aquabands. Yes. Aquabands. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it takes yeah. me it takes me way back, you know, Daddy Lumba, all those kind of old school Gs and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh great. You know a lot about your music, because I'll be honest, some <sighs> of the basketball players I've asked, I just hear Burner Boy all the time. And I'm glad to hear that you mentioned other people. So yeah, no, I mean again, <laughs> I have to. You know your stuff. Again, I think I think Afrobeats is a collective movement and a collective sound, but obviously, you know, the prominence is in some of the Nigerian artists. But I definitely love the fact that you know I can Azonto Al Qaeda to my my own country's music too. So there's definitely Yay. a piece of that there. <laughs> I would dance, but you know the screen's not big enough and everything. So he thinks I'm sorry. Benny thinks, Benny thinks she's a better dancer than me. I'm a better dancer. I don't know where she came, came Benny, from. Benny, I haven't seen you dance. Listen, so this summer, I think this summer was like the the best summer of my whole entire. Well, last summer, I, I keep on thinking it was this year, but it was last year in Senegal. Yeah. And we were all in Senegal in the club. You know, P. I didn't even know that Amadou and those guys were sat behind us. But we were all in the club. This club was the sweatiest club I've ever been in. Sweaty. Sweatiest. Hot. Sweaty. Literally. And I'm, I'm standing there, all these guys, by the way, props on the one thing that they're the world's greatest dancers, by the way. But obviously not. No, you think that because we're usually the two biggest people dancing. <laughs> they dance like antelopes. They, they do this. <laughs> I like that. But anyway, to, to get to the end of the podcast, P, um, <sighs> I want to ask you a very important question because this one, some people get on here, they don't even know names of people. They just want to be making oh. up things as they go along. So let me ask you this question. <clears throat> first of all, the first one, where do you find the most beautiful women in Africa? Hey! Well, I mean, that's, that's standard. It's, 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 it's my hometown, my home country of Mama Ghana. You don't have to say Ghana, you can say South Africa, that's also Yes, Ghana it is. I've only been to South Africa once, so I'm sorry, I don't, I don't, I can't really, I can't really. Well, you know, I can tell they you, do have beautiful women, women, women are broad beam. Excuse me. And for me so though, if I'm honest, that back, the most beautiful that women in the world. The no, I mean like, the they are, you know. Wait, we've got figure, that's what it is. Ah, that's what he was saying. Broad beam. Okay. He just um, don't use the word in public. Broad beam. No, 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 broad beam, you I'm know. Oh, we got wide hips. How about that? Exactly. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I'm saying. No, for me, the most beautiful women on the planet are of African descent and of uh, Africans. And if you go to that continent, you'll see any and everything. And it's natural. And that's what I love about it. Because, and that's that's another reason why we I feel like we should continue to boast and push our culture and, and the continent. Because when I saw, you know, we were sitting at the Radisson in Senegal and I was looking out into the ocean. And for a minute, I forgot where I was. You would think I was in on the beach somewhere in, in Miami or Spain or whatever, whatever the case may be. And I was like, this is Africa. And I took a picture and I was like, this is the part of the side of Africa they don't show you. And it's the same with the culture, the the, the women, everything is the, the beautiful. Everything is beautiful there. So um, you like the way I, I did the politically correct I answer. Did. Um, I really, I really did. I was so, just about to say that. I'm not having no women come for me. You're not gonna have that happen. <laughs> are you? Are you? Are you a crazy? What's that one? The Nigerian from last week said, "Well, I like them Brazilian and Peruvian." Oh. And we were ready for him. We were ready. <laughs> we, we, we came for him. We came for him. Benny, did you have to go there, please? Brazil. Did you have to go there? <laughs> the people, come get your. That was in Brazil. Brazil and Peruvian. We went what? And then he, he had your audacity. Know where Peru is. Can you imagine? And then he had the audacity to try and date Mtabio for one week to see if he, she likes him. And then date DJ Aries and then ask me for marriage. Can you imagine? One week contract. You did a one week contract. It's only Nigeria. But anyway, <laughs> the, last, the last question of the podcast is if you were to have your top five NBA players of African descent of all time, who would you have in your top five? Well, I think standard, which should be in everybody's top five, is like, is Hakeem, Luau. The last two is going to be interesting because, you know, it could be, I could go with Manute, I could go with Pascal, Serge, um, Giannis. Um, I think I'm going to put Giannis as number four because... They, they, although they call him the Greek freak, he is—he gets his freakish athleticism and his body from his Niger his Nigerian roots. So he's number four, and Pascal, I love that kid, man. Pascal, for me, even though he's just starting, um, funny story, and it's it's crazy. When I was at the Players Association, he was one of my rookies, and he was in our group, and you know, obviously, they didn't really know who I was or whatever, and we were talking, and I said something about Toronto. And he's like, how do you know that? I was like, well, I played there a little bit. And he came back and he was like, oh, I didn't know that was you, blah, blah, blah. He was like, he wore 43 and I wore 44. And he was like, man, they say um, uh, uh, I played like you. I was like, what? And then I told him, I was like, look, I've seen you play. You're way better than I ever was. But it's humbling and it's definitely an honor to, for people to say that. And, you know, you meet the kid and, you, and it's, I think it's innate or it's just natural for a lot of African players is the humility. The humility from where we came and the struggles that we went through that's, that's um, put us on the platform that we are in now and the philanthropy and everything that they do to give back. Look at what the Kembe, Akeem, Manute, Luau and have, have done for the continent in, in itself. And it's um, it speaks volumes and you know those guys, um, you know, although the last couple names on that list could could be interchangeable, you know, the top three for me is, you know, um, the Kembe, Akeem, and Luau. 
Well, Michael, Michael Deng will be very happy to Michael Deng. Michael Deng will be happy to be on the list. But I must say, in regards to Pascal, I mean, we did a feature on him a couple of weeks ago, and he's only been in the league four years. Only four years he's been in the league, and he's created so much change. So, uh, you know, so far, and the funny thing is, he didn't even want to be a basketball player. He wanted to be a Catholic priest. That's yeah, what he wanted I didn't know that, yeah. You know, so, and for me, every NBA event I've ever been to, regardless of where he is, he comes and finds me to say hello. And that it, it just makes you think of how humble he is, you know. No matter how big he is, he still knows where he's from and where he wants to give back to and who he respects. And I think that's it. So, so wait, wait. So did you see what I was talking about before, ladies and gentlemen, about how people, you think, oh, it's Benny's brother, this, Benny's brother, that. People mention me. No, they're trying to get next to this one. That's what they're trying to do. <laughs> they come say, hey, Pops, what's going on? Where's Benny? Ah, so you only said hello to me to find out where this small it's, girl is. It's only Messiah does that for pops. You know that. Everyone. No, he, that's the one I told you. Everybody does it. Like, have you seen Benny? Like, have I seen her? You're looking at me. You want me to know if I've seen her. You know what? But See? yeah, that's that's what it is. This is why I didn't want my brother on the podcast. But he's been here. His story is amazing. His journey is amazing. For the young people that are always reaching out about wanting to know more about pops. Literally, that's his story. That he came from Tottenham High Road and straight into the GM's chair, ups, downs, everything in between. He's been there, done it. Like I said, worn the t-shirt, taken it off, washed it, giving it away. <laughs> um, but you know, thank you so much for joining us on the BAL podcast. And Tabi, Colin, DJ Aries, thank you so much. Um, please make sure you check us out on Spotify. I, you know, I choose everywhere that has a podcast platform. We are on there and we really appreciate all the listening that you guys are doing. We see that the views and listening is just going up and up and up. We really do appreciate it. Um, I've been Miss Benny Bonsu. We will see you guys or, you know, speak to you guys next week. Thanks for having me. Thank you.